episode 20, bonus edition, interview with Melissa Emler. This is Gretchen from Always a Lesson. Whether you're teaching a lesson or learning one yourself, this podcast is for you. Are you ready to be empowered? I have a super exciting guest on deck that will inspire you to reach your potential as an educator. And if you love technology in the classroom, you will love this guest. I want to thank you, elite educators, because you are taking time to invest in yourself by listening to podcasts just like this to help hone your craft. So get ready to surround yourself with one more elite educator today. Melissa Emler is a dear virtual friend of mine. She has a bachelor's degree in English and secondary education and a master's in educational leadership. She has shared her vision and wisdom of 21st century learning at conferences such as Slate and ISTE. Melissa likes to go by the name Missy, and she's currently the Director of Innovation at CESA 3, which means she is serving 31 Wisconsin districts on school improvement, like innovation and design. And on top of it all, she is a wife and fantastic mommy to three growing kiddos. So here to help you reignite your passion and potential is Melissa Emler. Well, welcome, Missy, to the Empowering Educators podcast. Hi, Gretchen. It's so great to chat with you, and I am so excited to be here. Good. I'm stoked to have you here today. And I know elite educators around the world just turned up the volume and are sitting on the edge of their seat, ready to soak in your ed tech genius. (laughs) Oh, you make it sound so great. I hope that I deliver. You sure will. Well, why don't you go ahead and explain to the audience how our paths have crossed? Well, I recently started a podcast and I was learning about podcasting and you came across in one of our Facebook groups that we're both in. And I noticed that you were an educator in this group full of business people. And I thought, oh my gosh, I want to connect with her because I'm feeling a little out of my league. And I reached out to you and said, great podcast. And I can't remember what episode it was, but I remember thinking, I like this person. I'm going to hook up with her. (laughs) She's going to hold me accountable. So that's how we hooked up. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that was a cool moment when we're both like, hey, we're in this unique journey together. We have a similar background. Like, why are we doing this alone? Let's hold hands and figure this out together. And it's been a great partnership ever since. Yes, absolutely. And you were ahead of the game when I, you were like where I wanted to be. I think it was like in June or July when I finally took the leap of faith and decided I'm going to do a podcast. And you were the first person in education that I found aside from our other friends. Like I had listened to Jeff Bradbury's TeacherCast and um, Chris Nessie's House of Ed Tech, but 
it was different um, when I came across yours and felt like, okay, I can reach out to this person and we can definitely help each other. So I'm super happy about that. Yeah. Well, I already filled the audience in that you are a director of innovation at CISA. Can you break that down for us? Right. Absolutely. So basically my role, I serve 31 school districts in uh, Southwest Wisconsin in a very rural area. And my job as the director of innovation is to basically remove any obstacles in regards to technology and education, design thinking. I just am the obstacle remover. So I work with administration on developing policies and budgets that will support innovation and design thinking and technology integration into classrooms. And then I work with teachers to make sure they have the skills to do what they say they want to do. I'm so impressed. I, that's an amazing job title that you have a million hats that you're wearing. But if you were to rename yourself like in common lingo, what would you say your title is? You know, it's really funny because the director of innovation is the rename. So prior to being the director of innovation, I was the digital leading and learning specialist. So that might make sense. And yeah. before that, I was educator effectiveness coach and school improvement specialist. But the director of innovation um, is a recent title change that I talked with my directors about after listening to Bob Dylan, Idea Guy 52. <laughs> Because he is the director of innovation and I heard him on for his district and I heard him on a podcast and he said, as the director of innovation, my job is to remove all obstacles so teachers can do their jobs. And so that's ultimately I thought, well, that makes complete sense for him. And that's ultimately what I try to do. But not just for one district, I'm working with 31 school districts to make that happen. And people seek me out because I, I because I've been First of all, I was an English teacher and I was always a technology integrator. And from being an English teacher, I was a special education teacher where I learned a lot about assistive technology and was really in that space as different tools sort of matured and started to incorporate more assistive technologies at the base level that were good for everyone. And then I became a principal where I really pushed my teachers to move forward in the way of technology integration. So it's just a natural fit. People in my region know that if they have a question about technology and technology integration, I'm going to be able to help, but I'm also not going to, I'm going to encourage them to hug what they have before they ask for the newest, shiniest new object that I'm, everybody's talking about. I'm glad you brought that up because I know that's your famous saying. So tell us like what that really means. Well, hug what you have comes into play because the first excuse that people have about not integrating technology and utilizing technology in their classroom is because they don't have money to get all of the newest stuff. They're, there's no money in their district for a one-to-one -one initiative, or there's not enough computers in their schools for, you know, the labs are always booked up or whatnot. And I used to say to my teachers who were working off of a seven to 10-year-old computer, and they did have internet access, but they were not wireless. And there were all of these obstacles, but they could always use any Web 2.0 tools, which, which seem kind of like old news. But there are constantly, there are tools being reinvented and redesigned and released to the public every day. And so hugging what you have means 
finding those tools that are easy to learn, easy to in- integrate and meet your needs without asking for new computers or a one-to-one initiative or even, you know, whiteboard technology, interactive whiteboard technology is sort of yesterday, but my teachers definitely could have maximized the interactive whiteboards that were in their classroom. So I got them more training so they could really beef up their use and they just weren't using it as a glorified whiteboard on their board. They were actually using the software to create lessons that had a higher impact on learning. Yeah, I see that all the time. And I was just at the conference for elementary educators last weekend and there was lots of sessions on technology and I realized that, hey, teachers think that just because they have a computer as part of the lesson that they can check the box that they're integrating technology. But really what they're doing is just taking the worksheet, paper, pencil and having them complete it on the iPad or on the computer. And it's really not enhancing any of the lesson. And I think that's what you're kind of saying is we do have great technology at our fingertips, but we're just not using it correctly. And I love that you said you decided to put some money into the professional development aspect so that they truly can learn how to use these tools in the correct way. Yeah. And and moving forward, I mean, we have to start somewhere. So substituting is good. You know, we want to go from analog to digital. So if that means putting a worksheet on the iPad, that's a start. And I'm, that that's a start, I guess. <laughs> but um, that's definitely not the end goal. Right. But you aren't going to get somebody to replace worksheets if they're not even substituting for a digital alternative. So point. there is a progression. You know, the SAMR model is great. It's definitely not all-inclusive or all-enticing, but it's certainly um, it's certainly a guide, a framework and a guide. So like I said, the, the goal is to really hug what you have so that when you ask for something that you don't have, people see what you're doing and are doing, they can see that you will maximize the tool that they may purchase for you. So since you've seen lots of different school districts and have seen the technology roll out and and apps come and go, what's kind of the best lesson you've learned in technology since it does constantly change? I guess the best lesson I've learned is that it's okay to break up with something if it doesn't meet your needs anymore. (laughs) I like that term. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So um, when I teach I do a lot of um, Google Apps implementation training, and I start out by simply saying to teachers everywhere that I do this, is that today is sort of a divorce day. And divorces are really sad, but, um, you know, you don't have to go to the divorce right away, but you really need to separate and see what you have. The deal with Google Apps and Microsoft and whatever is they're all really good tools and they all serve a purpose and we all have preferences. But if we really want to make an impact on learning, then we have to hug the tool that we have and maximize its use. So often I see Google Apps implemented in schools and only a few teachers use it and a few students use it. And we really need to all use it for it to be effective. And if we aren't using Google, then we all need to use Microsoft in a way that is different than what we have used it. 
Um, that cloud sharing piece is really important so we aren't reinventing the wheel and saving documents and then having to upload them, make changes and save them again and then email them and come back. So like you can eliminate steps if you work hard to maximize the tools for what they are. And like I said, not everybody is a Google fan. I happen to be a Google fan because I can get a lot done and it's very collaborative in nature, mm -hmm. but I also wouldn't buy a Chromebook. Um, Chromebooks don't have as much computing power as I would like to see students have access to. Um, you can't download CAD software or um, the other thing you can't do, you can't do anything with software in a Chromebook. And sometimes the task at hand really needs to have software in order for it to be great. For example, the podcast we're doing, we couldn't do the podcast as with as much editing and as well as we do it without the software that we have downloaded. Right. Now, if you have an iPad, you can use GarageBand and things like that. But oh, I don't know. I think I'm off in the weeds. But, you know, really, it's just about breaking up with tools that don't work for you anymore and finding tools that cover more than one. Like if a tool introduces a new feature, try to maximize that tool by using all the features within one tool instead of trying to go all these other places and try to use different smaller pieces of bigger technologies. Oh, that's very confusing. Does that make sense? <laughs> You're definitely a guru. That is for sure. I, I'm just starting to think, is it better for a school to roll out one tool with professional development and support and start there instead of just saying, teachers, use whatever tools you want? You know, it, should it be uniform or should it be differentiated? Both. Um, I think the best thing for professional development and rolling things out to schools is modeling. And I think schools can save more money if they have universal tools that they use all the time at the teacher at the student level, the teacher level, and the administrative level. What gets expensive and confusing and preventative of moving the needle forward is when we are only halfway utilizing all the different tools that we have. Right. So we have to be we have to work harder to sort of make the tools maximize the tools we're using, but what tools we're using doesn't really matter. But there has to be some sort of standard expectation of how um, we interact and communicate with each other, and that should be in the same tool. But you still need those forward thinkers that are going to experiment with new tools so that if something works better, you still feel free to take a risk and break up with something else as you roll it out to a larger group of people. Do you feel like principals support that mission or do they really want to have control over what teachers and students are using on a daily basis? Well, I think that's the biggest change in ed tech right now that people may or may not be ready for or familiar with. So principals have just as much learner variability as teachers and as students. There's really no such thing as an average user or anything like that. We all have learner variability. We learn things at different rates. We adopt things at different rates, and we have different preferences. So some principals have a fear factor, just like teachers and just like students. So everyone needs professional development. And I think the more controlling principals or leadership are 
with what types of tools and technology students and staff use, that control piece is really a matter of their own fear. Mm -hmm. However, something that all teachers and leadership need to be aware of is that when we attempt to like start using a new tool or explore a new tool, we have to be cognizant of student data that is transmitted through the tool. And I think the piece that administration and leadership has to start thinking about is what the standards and the policy are for a teacher adopting a new tool and keeping students safe while they're checking out a new tool. I'm all for taking risks and trying new tools, but we are really free, teachers are really free with signing up for the next greatest tool, using it for a couple days, and then signing up for the next one. And every time we do that, we transmit student data, even if it's first names and last names, or, you know, even if it's just their first names. And we have to be cognizant of that and what happens to that data. And I think, you know, ed tech companies are marketing to teachers right now, which is, which I understand why, because if we can get teachers to use the tools, then they'll have lots of sales and teachers have a very good influence on their leadership because the leadership wants to please the teachers. But the reality of it is, is that we have to be more careful about the tools that we adopt and the data that we share. And we don't even know how to have that conversation yet. We don't know. A lot of us don't know what our state rules and policies are. And each ed tech company might design their data solutions, like how they store the data differently based on different state requirements. But every state is different. But there's no concrete question, concrete set of questions to ask in order to deliver that message about what we should be doing and how we should be handling that. And yet teachers, are, there's no there's no safeguard for teachers either because they want to try the tools, which is great. But some districts don't let you try things because they're afraid of what's happening with the data. So there has to be some happy medium. Yeah, I never thought about the data piece. I always thought just it was financial. Like we've already committed to two years with this one company. We can't change gears now, but it does make sense because that information is personal and it is out there. And what are we doing to protect it? So I'm glad you right. raised that point. Like the the tool that like that is the most sort of controversial when it comes to this is class class dojo. And while I don't love or hate class dojo, ultimately it's a classroom management system that is lots of teachers debate about whether it's a good thing or a bad thing. But no, very rarely do I see teachers talking about the amount of data stored somewhere for class dojo and what the district's policy is for using a tool like that. I think it would be best practice for teachers to have a conversation about the tool they're going to use with their principal and talk about, you know, sometimes the principal isn't going to know about the tool, but having the conversation, I'm going to use this tool because this is how it will benefit my students and impact their learning, And I just wanted you to know that I was going to create accounts for my students. Can we just document that and have that on file somewhere so that as things go, if something happens with the company and it goes bad, you'll have a record of that. Yeah. 
there should be, it's just a matter of record keeping, I think, to keep our, our students safe. And, and I don't know what that looks like. It's just still too early in the game. But I think it's it's a good point to raise and help us brainstorm, you know, what we might do on the school level. But I want to kind of, we could talk about EdTech forever, but let's get back to teaching because I know before our coaching roles, we loved and fell in love with teachers. So since you are out and about in these 31 other districts, you've been able to see a lot of great teaching. So if you could sum it up in a sentence or two, what makes an educator great? I think teachers who are willing to take a risk and enter into a lesson that they may not be able to teach from beginning to end because they know so much of what will happen in the middle and the end will be impacted by students and the direction that students take it. Those are the teachers that are really having an impact. Um, today, I taught teachers how to use 123D Design, which is a free CAD software program that's downloadable, that's produced by Autodesk. And to be honest with you, I can't design a single thing um, on that software. And it's kind of embarrassing to say, but I spent the afternoon with teachers using that program. I had a design that I wanted them to create and directions to create it. And we actually had two students with us and I was showing the teachers something else. And while I was showing them something that was pertaining to teachers, I said to the students, hey, I need your help. Can you please... Um, go through this activity and let me know if, if it all works out okay. So these two students were over there designing this luggage tag. <laughs> and they, I, I noticed that they were done in like 12 or 15 minutes. It was, it, it was crazy how fast they were finished. And it was great because the teachers knew that I was getting really nervous about teaching this software to them. But they also knew what I had up my sleeve when I put those students on it. Because when the teachers started to work and the teachers started to have questions and some would get stuck and frustrated, those students were mingling around the room helping all of the teachers. I and that. I had to do none of that. And if I, I can trust in the process and trust that there will be somebody in the room who knows more than I do, even if they're 15 or 20 or 30 years younger than me, if I I can trust that there's somebody out there who knows as much or a little more than me, even though I'm the teacher, we're making progress. And there are teachers like that all over that trust in the process and let the students be creative and help each other. And that is awesome to watch. Yeah, that's a great answer because I think towards the end of my classroom experience, I realized I needed to facilitate more and not be like the person in the room that has all the answers. I'm there to pose questions and help you think through and like work with you, but I'm not here to tell you everything you're supposed to know like it used to be. So I think this is a shift for all of education, but I think you're right, you know, great educators are okay not knowing something and using their resources to figure it out. You happen to use students and I've learned they happen to always know more than I do about tech tools or just the way that they need to hear something and can explain it to a peer. So that's really powerful. I agree. Yes, absolutely. The facilitation. And if I was going to, if I was a teacher now um, in the classroom with students, I would find professional development that helped me ask more questions and helped me learn how to ask questions and what questions to ask. Yeah. Because I don't think there's enough professional development 
around the concept of questioning and asking questions. Well, I think everyone also thinks it's easy, but it actually takes 10 times as much planning because you have to know the ideal path. Then you have to know paths A to Z that could potentially happen. And what's mm-hmm. difficult is that all happens in the moment. I mean, you can't, you don't know what a student is going to say or what they're not going to know. And, and it's kind of scary to have a plan, but not really know which plan you're going to use. And I think it's all about just letting go. I mean, this lesson doesn't have to be picture perfect, but the more you do it, the easier it gets, I think. And I agree. We definitely need to get more professional development into classrooms on how to ask questions. Yes. And how to be okay with recognizing when the question is taking them in a direction that is still having an impact on learning. And when the question, when the answers or the responses are taking us down a rabbit hole and realizing that sometimes the rabbit holes are where the real learning happens. Ooh, Mm -hmm. that's quotable. I like it. (laughs) We try. (laughs) So this show is dedicated to teachers of a variety of backgrounds. We've got new teachers, teachers in transition or distress, and some teacher leaders. So if you could give any one of those type of teachers a piece of advice, what would it be and why? Um, Go to an ed camp. <laughs> yeah, I love Yeah, ed go to an ed camp and give up a Saturday and spend it with people who are excited about what we do. And the the what happens that day, I can't tell you here what will happen because it is completely determined by the people in the room. Yep. And there is nothing more motivating than seeing your colleagues talk with each other about things that are working. And not working sometimes, but going to an ed camp is enough, is six hours of complete rejuvenation. And you will meet people there that will carry you when it feels yucky. And there are definitely times when it feels yucky and politics are stacked against you. Financials are stacked against you. You have a few students that are making life very difficult this year, but an ed camp will definitely raise your spirits. Yeah, I absolutely loved it. Those of you listening that are like, what is an ed camp? It's basically just a relaxed conference. Actually, they call it an unconference, meaning there's like not one presenter. No one's paid to be there. Everyone just shows up. You get a piece of paper, start filling um, in some ideas for what you could contribute. Like if you were going to start a session, maybe I would do on mentoring or something. And then the ones that get the most votes, send them in classrooms, have kind of a rotating schedule. And you just sit round Robin and talk with some people that just love education. And it's a way to get ideas, to network, um, to make yourself and your school a little bit better in terms of maybe some are technology related, or we were talking about questioning or classroom management. So it's just a very unique uh, format. Would you say, Missy? Yes. And the most important piece is that you can vote with your feet. So if you end up (laughs) in a discussion that's not working for you, you just get up and leave and no one is offended. Yeah. That's that's a very empowering piece, too. You know, it's very different than a district led in service where you're stuck in a room and it's dragging on in an ed camp. You just get up and leave and you go to the other one that you wanted to go to. And so often there are two or three that you want to attend at the same time. So, you know, leaving when you leave a room at an end camp, it's not just because it might not be because it's boring or it's not meeting your needs. It might be because 
you want a little bit from that session and a little bit from another session. Yeah, I'm glad you said that because that's exactly what happened. There was too much goodness to go around. I almost wanted to just say, hey, can we tape all of the sessions so that I can access them later? And maybe that's what we end up doing in the future. Mm -hmm. And there's so many Saturdays that I follow Ed Camp hashtags on Twitter. Yeah, Just Just to be in the moment and feel what it's like. Yeah, it's a lot of energy. It gives you like the warm and fuzzy feeling again. You get on fire for education. Mm-hmm. So I That's know good. you've been in some leadership roles recently. So who is your current mentor? Because I know you didn't get to where you are without one. Well, that's a really good question. Gosh, I've had so many mentors. Um, but I guess my high school principal was also my um He was in charge of my educational administration program, and I reach out to him quite a bit. And we just, at this point, though, we laugh and talk, and he says, well, what are you learning now? I don't want to know it. (laughs) (laughs) But he really, he's a relationships guy, so he's really guided me in that. Um, You know, learning is definitely, schools and learning is definitely different than when I was in school and when he was leading schools. But it all always comes back to the relationship. And I think that's what he has definitely taught me over and over and over again. Yeah. I mean, I couldn't agree more. I think the whole educational process is about two things, communication and relationships. It doesn't matter how much you know. If you can't build a relationship with the people you're instructing and communicate it in a way that makes sense to them, then you've got nothing. Right. Absolutely. So as educators, we're constantly learning and growing and staying current uh, on what's happening in our field is super important, especially I know you love EdTech and that changes so fast. And you recently did some interviews on your podcast like Write About and Classcraft and Kahoot, just to name a few. So what do you do in order to keep current? You know, I was thinking about this question too because I- For so long, I've said that everything I've learned, I've learned on Twitter since I finished my (laughs) master's degree. But, you know, I was a technology integrator before um, I even started my master's degree or got on to Twitter. And so I guess I don't know what it is that I do to stay current, except that surrounding myself with people who are innovative and problem solving is probably what I do. You know, I did um, the Strengths Finder survey, uh-huh. and I'm a futurist. And so, since I've done that and sort of realized that that was just in my blood to be a futurist, that's what I'm good at. I start surrounding myself with those people um, that are also sort of leaning into the future. And I like to be on the cutting edge, and I like to find new tools. And I'm really good at testing a tool in either liking it or breaking up with it really, really quickly. Um, <laughs> You're like so, a, a one dater. <laughs> yeah, yes, absolutely. I, I can definitely check something out, look at it for a few minutes and be like, yeah, that's not going to work. Or I really like this. So I also like to compare and contrast tools that do the same thing. Um, because I, I'm, I'm quick to like analyze and um, compare and contrast those tools. So that, you know, I don't have to teach everybody everything. I can sort of pick and choose and go with my gut on what will work best. Yeah, and I've even learned there are some tools that are really cool and they don't really serve the purpose for student learning or for a specific 
standard mm-hmm. or objective or subject. And so I think it's also important that you can fall in love with a tool, but you got to make sure it serves its purpose. Absolutely. Every tool has to have a purpose or it's just shiny and flashy. <laughs> but we like those, don't we? <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. But diamonds are much better than ed tech. Amen. If you're going to buy flashy, you might as well save up and get yourself some diamonds. <laughs> Well, this next question is something I ask everybody on the show, and it does make them squirm a bit and blush, but I have to ask it. Go ahead and tell us about your best all-star teacher moment. Okay, well, I actually thought about this, and it's um, it actually happened when I was in my undergraduate time, and I was teaching religious education for my parish, and, you know, teaching religious ed is very challenging because kids are, um, oh, how do I explain it? They're squirrely and they like to cause trouble and they only have to deal with you for an hour and you really have no control because you're not going to see them again for a week or two weeks or whatever. So we did this prayer service and the students were laughing and I was getting kind of frustrated because, you know, they were laughing. And they each had to go to the microphone and say one good deed they had done for another person in the week leading up to that class. And it was really, you know, it was a prayerful moment and the kids were saying really great things at the microphone. And then this kid got up there and he said, well, my good deed this week was uh, telling my brother that I love him. And everybody busted a gut. They were laughing and I was squirming because I was kind of mad. So another two or three students go and then another student gets up to the microphone and he says, well, this week I told my brother that I loved him right back. And suddenly I wasn't mad anymore. And I realized that, you know, sometimes in the classroom students have a chance to say things that they can't say anywhere else and it's safe and they're loved. And so that that moment sticks out to me a lot, and I will never forget it. And I see those boys, they're totally adult men at this point in life. <laughs> I see them. They were like sophomores in high school at the time, and they weren't twins. We would just had sophomores and juniors, you know, together in the class. But I see them often, and I say, do you remember that night? And they said, yeah, you were so mad. And I said, and then you said you loved each other, and I wasn't mad anymore. <laughs> That is such a good story. I'm like tearing up over here. Oh, my God. Yeah, it was awesome. Well, it mm-hmm. reminds you that no matter how old kids are, they're still kids, you know, and that yes. it's just that like naive thing. I don't know. I love it. Mm-hmm. It was a good moment. So let's hit the good stuff. Let's dive into your blog and your podcast. You've got Connecting to Create Greatness is your blog and then On the Vendor Floor podcast. So take it away and fill us in. Well, my Connecting to Create Greatness blog is really sort of (laughs) taking a backseat right now, but it started because I work hard to connect educators with each other, and I also love social media for the purpose of learning and connecting, so I write about that a lot in that space. But my podcast is really taking the forefront right now, which is totally how we hooked up and met, Um, but on the vendor floor is the product of going to ISTE in Philadelphia and being completely overwhelmed on the vendor floor, which is a space I usually thrive in. I totally look forward 
forward to going to see the vendors and learning something new. And I like the vendor floor because I can talk to somebody for like five or 10 minutes and it's completely non-committal. And then <laughs> I can go. <laughs> I've, yeah, thought, I can... I've thought of a hashtag for you. It's EdTech first date. Like, I feel like that's what you do. (laughs) (laughs) You know what? I totally do that. Um, So anyway, I just, it's noncommittal and I can talk a little bit and then I can go look at things later on my own without needing to talk to the salespeople. But I also think that ed tech entrepreneurs bring a great amount of value to the classroom if they care about learning. Now, some people care about learning and some people don't. They just want the next big win for ed tech and money. But at ISTE, I felt completely overwhelmed. It was, there was a huge economic divide between the companies that were in the front with their big build outs that probably cost ten to $20,000 just to have space designed for that conference. And then some of the best things, it was like being in the grocery store. Some of the best things for me and for my classroom were on the outside edges and in the back, kind of like the freezer aisles, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so, in the, in the produce aisles. And that's how the ISTE vendor floor felt to me. And I also noticed that some really great ed tech companies were not on the vendor floor at ISTE. And a lot of that has to do with how much money it costs to be a part of that particular space. And ed tech startups, many people don't realize this, but they, they're struggling financially too. You know, they're bootstrapping and using credit cards to pay bills, or they're begging for investors, or, you know, it's just not the most, it's glorious because it's very mission and mission driven and very focused, but it's really a lot of hard work. And sometimes things work and sometimes things don't. Um, But I wanted to give those vendors an opportunity to talk to classroom teachers and get the word out about the service that their product provides. And I also um, am using So it's sort of evolving into this exploration of ed tech economics and what it really means and why freemiums happen and then freemiums go away and suddenly we have to pay for tools that we'd been using for free and how, why that's frustrating for educators, but why it has to happen for ed tech creators. And so that's what on the vendor floor is. I release every Tuesday and Friday morning. And every fifth episode is a bonus episode where we talk about ed tech economics and things like that. So who are you deciding to put on your show? Are these technologies that you've been working with in schools or just someone that's reached out to you? How do you decide who to showcase? Well, I find new things, whether it be on Twitter or things that I've seen um, in the classroom or teachers have said, oh, that's a really great tool. Um, Classcraft actually was the result of Two of my ISTE friends that I actually roomed with, they are avid Classcraft users. And I it, I, it doesn't make sense to me. I'm not a gamer. It feels kind of weird. Even their, <laughs> even their artwork is, their artwork is beautiful, but like outside of my realm of something that would interest me. Yeah. And so anyway, it's not necessarily a tool that I would totally use. However, people loved it. And I thought the the concept behind the tool makes complete sense. So I just thought I would interview them. And it turns out that it would be an amazing tool in the class. And right about, I absolutely love Brad Wilson. He is great. And I met him at ISTE also. And he is does similar things as I do at a regional service agency in Michigan. And he, his product is, you know, it doesn't have a lot of users yet, but it will. 
And so I'm just working to give people the exposure they need. And yet I'm also working to push people, push ed tech creators to think deeper about the impact their tool has on learning. Yeah. So it's great. I'm super excited about it. And then how would you like teachers to utilize your podcast? Well, that's a really great question. So my perfect listener is a library media specialist who is expected to keep up with everything and tell everybody about everything. And there's too much to keep up with. And the journals keep piling up. And, you know, the websites they're supposed to look at and curate keep getting bookmarked and never looked at. So the podcast is an opportunity for those people who are responsible for getting the word out about tech in their district, in their districts. It's an opportunity for them to listen on the go and then share the podcast with specific people that they think that technology will impact. So I like I I don't want to I don't want my listeners to blast an episode out to the entire district and say, oh, you need to listen to this. It makes much more sense if they can send it, send one episode to a specific person. I think it will have a greater impact. But of course, the more people that listen, the more people that will get the information and the better it will be. But again, I don't want to overwhelm anyone with too much. I don't want to be the magazine that piles up. Right. And your mission is to get teachers to use the technology. And if their inbox is flooded with multiple episodes of different technologies, they're just going to start trashing them at all. So I like the idea of being purposeful with this tool would be great for so-and-so. I'm going to send it to them. And then that is their only focus versus having to sift through all these different tools. Right. And so the other, the main mission is to, my mission is to engage educators with entrepreneurs in conversations that enhance learning. And there's so much that entrepreneurs can learn from educators too, that I think it's important to sort of connect the two. And if people, I can't tell you how many times people have reached out and said, oh my gosh, I checked out that tool and I contacted the founder and he is so great. And that's what I want to do because sometimes the people who create the products seem untouchable from a teacher's perspective. And yet they just want those teachers to reach out in the worst way. And so I sort of provide an avenue and an introduction for the connection. Yeah, I think it's a great partnership because if a teacher can say, I need this app or this product, whatever, to do such and such, then the creator is saying, well, here's guaranteed business. If I can re tweak this so that this teacher can use it, then they're going to continue using it. I'm not going to lose that customer. So he's benefiting, you know, from the money wise, but then teachers are actually using things that fit their classroom and fit their needs. So it's just a win-win. It is. It's super fun too. (laughs) And I can see myself as a coach helping teachers connect as well. And I love that your episodes are listed with the name of the technology. So if someone says, I'm not really sure which one I want to try out, it's like, well, see, here are the episodes of different technologies she is going into detail about. Which one have you heard about and you want to learn more of? So it's very easy to kind of comb through your episodes to know which one to listen to as well. Right. And I'm tagging them and categorizing them as I go. So in a few more episodes, when I have a larger body of work, There will be a place on the website where you can go for universal tools or elementary tools or reading tools or writing tools or math tools. And so those will be populated as the body of work grows and expands. Mm. You're such a smart cookie. 
Thanks. <laughs> I try. Well, before we close out, I want to ask you the question I ask everyone is how do you reignite your passion and potential as an educator? I just talk to other educators. I am very passionate about what we do and I love seeing their energy and I love seeing them learn. That's so good. And I can tell that you mean it. Like I can just hear it in your voice that you love what we're doing, but you also want everyone else to love it and enjoy the process as well. Absolutely. Well, thanks for coming out and hanging out with us, Elite Educators. We are excited to have you and and just hear it in your voice, your excitement. And now we are equipped to go out and look at some awesome ed tech tools. Awesome, Gretchen. Thanks. Have a great day. All right, you too. Elite Educators, that is a wrap for this week's podcast featuring Elite Educator and Edupreneur, Melissa Emler. Now go out and be great because you've just been empowered. This podcast is sponsored by the Educators Podcast Network, a podcast network that encourages you to think about your profession and succeed in the world of education. Whether you're a first-year educator or a seasoned veteran, there is a podcast for you. All of the shows are produced by educators who want to shape education through meaningful discussion and content. So head on over to edupodcastnetwork.com for more details. Hey, Elite Educators, if you want to get empowered, grab my free webinar that will walk you through how to become a connected educator via Twitter chats. They're super easy to do, and you can do them whenever or however much you want. I met some amazingly powerful educators who are now my mentors and close friends. I grew so much as a classroom teacher, and I want you to do the same. So grab your cell phone, text these words, Twitter chat webinar. A quick hint, it has to be typed as one word to this phone number, 33444, and you'll gain access to this free guidance. Let me say that one more time. Just text the words Twitter chat webinar, but don't forget it has to be typed as one word to the number 33. 444, and you'll get this for free. You owe it to yourself and your students to be your best. So go check it out. Calling elite educators. Are you in need of feeling empowered by someone who is just like you, who does just what you do, and well, just gets it? Then hop on over to alwaysalesson.com to learn more on the blog for tips and tricks of remaining passionate about your current work. Also, check out our social media links for more personal connection to other elite educators just like you. And if you're a newbie educator, grab a copy of my book, Elementary Education 101, What They Didn't Teach You in College to ensure you beat the learning curve and end your first year ahead of the game. Alwaysalesson.com provides something for everyone. So elite educators, stop by today and get empowered.